Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and this, of course, is going to be an interesting hour because whenever I have Ken Samples on, I'm always geared up because t- today's topic is talking about the human mind and how it came to be. There's an interesting quote by an Oxford mathematician named John Lennox that kind of lit up the internet. He said, Either human intelligence ultimately owes its origin to mindless matter, or there is a creator. It is strange that some people claim that it is their intelligence that leads them to prefer the first to the second. That's interesting. We're going to talk today to Ken. He is not only a philosopher, but a theologian at reasons.org. You can learn more about him. He's authored many books we'll talk about a little bit later, but I can't wait to get this discussion started. Ken, welcome back. Hello, Bill. It's good to be with you. Likewise. All right. So let's get started in this topic. This is heavy and and I got to ask a lot of questions. So did mind make nature or did nature make mind? Let's start there. Yeah, those are two models, right? Uh, The first model is the, call it the religious model, call it the Judeo-Christian model, theistic model, that ultimately there was a infinite mind. And that mind brought nature into existence. Now, that, that's a very important critical thought there, because if this, if this intelligent mind uh, knows things, has information, knowledge, logic, reason, rationality, then he's going to make a world that's ordered. It has patterns, regularity, what scientists call uniformity. That is nature, scientists in one part of the universe can be duplicated in other parts of the universe. So we have an intelligible world and it makes sense. Now, um, if, if, if a mind made nature, then he made human beings. And if we're to take the Bible seriously, that people are made in the image of God, then human beings have what in philosophy we would call cognitive faculties. They have a brain and a mind. They have sensory organs, things like eyes, ears, and noses that can smell. And those cognitive faculties and sensory organs, they're reliable. And then one more component in all this, God is going to network the system. So you have this intelligible world. You have this orderly world, a world of regularity. Human beings, because they have reliable cognitive faculties and sensory organs, they can track the reliability. They can follow logic, reason. They can do science. And God connects them together. Now, in my mind, that makes a great deal of sense. And that's why we have things like science. That's why we can rely upon things like logic and mathematics. Because a mind made the world, and the world is characterized by 
the rationality of that creator's mind. Now, let me stop there, though, and offer another perspective. And that's the second, did nature create mind? So by nature in this context, Bill, I mean just matter and energy, just uh, material uh, forces. Uh, there's no mind behind the universe. There's no God. There, there's, no, there's no rational mind that brings it into existence. Rather, this impersonal, um, non-mindful, non-purposeful universe kind of stirs together. And ultimately, what pops out uh, is the world in which we live and creatures like us by evolution. And uh, then the question is, hey, if uh, if our mind came from something that is mindless, if our personhood came from something that is less than personal, if our rationality came from something that is less than rational, can we then trust that we can do science and reason and rationality? And, and the quote you read by uh, John Lennox, the, the great mathematician from Oxford University, Lennox says, look, either there is uh, an intelligent mind that made uh, nature or, you know, physical forces, impersonal, non-rational, non-mindful, created the world. What I would propose, Bill, is that uh, things like science and logic and our rationality, they make a lot better sense in a world that comes from a mind. And yet Linux is really kind of touched uh, the, the irony here. A lot of people they say they use their intelligence, their reason, their logic, their rationality to adopt a worldview that says there's no mind, reason, logic, or rationality behind the universe. <laughs> that's, that's comical to me, Ken. I mean, when it, I think it, of... It, it, Oh, go ahead, please. Think of it this way. You know, we have some great science universities in our country. One of them is here in Southern California, where I live, called the California Institute of Technology. We call it Caltech. It's a math science school. In Massachusetts, you've got the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. These are elite universities, math science schools. What's interesting, Bill, is that they go looking for the brightest math and science students in high school and in college, give them a scholarship, give them world-class training, teach them everything in engineering, uh, in physics, in chemistry, and all these, only then to give them a worldview that says there's no mind, reason, or rationality behind the universe. I mm. think that's ironic. Uh, that That is very ironic. And to keep it simple for me, Ken, I always start with this premise that a mind outside this world created this world. How could I possibly understand it all? I can trust and put my faith in God, but to you know, for people who have a hostility towards uh, a creator, I just think it's because they have a hostility towards God and they've got a spiritual blindness that does not allow them to see the divine creator. And, and that's, you know, 
when for those of us who read the Bible, take it seriously, reflect on its meaning, we realize that you can have biases that can darken your understanding. I mean, one you and I've talked about this before. One of the really scary elements of being a sinner is that sin can blind you to reality. And you can say, well, I don't see any reason or rationality to believe this. But in reality, you're, you, are, you are reacting morally and saying, I, I, if, I, if I believe there's a mind behind the universe, then that mind might have uh, things he wants me to do. And maybe more importantly, things he doesn't want me to do. Mm-hmm. Ken Sample. So, oh, I'm sorry, Ken. Go ahead. No, go no. ahead. I just want to let everyone know who just joined into the discussion here uh, who I'm speaking to. Ken Samples is my guest. And today's topic is how did the human mind come to be? Ken's a philosopher and a theologian at reasons.org. You can learn more about him there. But um, anyway, I just want to let people know the topic because this is going to be an interesting one and a challenging one for many because everybody knows somebody who thinks they're they're too smart to be a Christian because they're they're so well beautifully trained in sciences and mathematics and chemistry, just like these MIT students. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, it's faith and reason go together, but reason in and of itself, apart from God's grace, won't bring you to faith. And yet, uh, once you have faith, you look around and you see, wow, my faith is really well supported by reason. Yeah. Very, very good point. All right, maybe, Ken, uh, you can share the argument for Christian theism, and maybe you would also define the word theism for people who are going, what does theism mean? Yes. Um, so an atheist, you put an A in front of theism, uh, no God. Theism is a particular God. It is a personal God who created the world. So Jews, Christians, and Muslims are said to be theistic. Okay. Uh, we believe in, in a personal God who created the world. Um, now, let me let me tell you a story. Um, uh, think of think of it this way, uh, Bill. What if you What if you decided to take your your wife on a anniversary trip? You got in an airplane. You decided to go to Hawaii. You're flying over the Pacific, and then something bad happens. Uh, you have you have the plane has uh, problems and it crash lands and uh, you're in the Pacific looking around and you finally make it to what looks like a deserted island. But when you get to the beach, it says SOS in the sand. Mm. Now, would, in, would anybody immediately think that the wind and the waves formed the letters in the sand by pure mm. chance and accident? No, I'd say someone, so. someone had been there already. That's right. SOS is a universal distress signal. Save our ship. Uh, you would you would convey the idea that this is an intelligent mind has has put this code here, mm-hmm. uh, and it and in fact this is this is what uh, this is what we recognize that whenever we have intelligent messages, uh, codes come from a coder. There is a sender. There's an intelligence behind the universe. That is that basic that basic idea that uh, information, knowledge, and wisdom has to come from a mind. 
Okay, I like that. Let's um, um, maybe we'll let's back to the let's get back to the argument uh, for then why why a Christian theism. Yes. Well, let's let's put it this way. I'm gonna I'm gonna set it forth in an, in an argument form. Okay. And make me define my terms if they're if they're not clear. And and an argument is you make a claim that that something is true or something is right or it's what you want to prove or what you want people to accept. That's called your conclusion. And then you have premises and they provide support, facts, reasons, or evidence. And the premises lead you to the conclusion, and that's called the inference. So that's that's the way an argument works. So let me present this argument for Christian theism. Premise one, the reliability of reason and human rationality cannot be justified if it comes from a non-rational, non-mindful source. So, so again... Uh, you've got reason and rationality, but those things can't be justified. They can't be grounded. They can't be explained if they come from a non-rational, non-mindful source. That's my first premise. All right. I, I need a little bit more uh, ex- explanation on this, Ken. Sorry, I'm, I'm feeling a little okay. uh, like it might be helpful for all of us listening to hear this one more time before we move on. Yeah, but first premise, the reliability of reason and human rationality cannot be justified if it comes from a non-rational, non-mindful source. Now, let let me tell you another story. Suppose, Bill, you come down to Los Angeles to visit Ken Samples, and I say, hey, uh, I want to take you down to San Diego to see the zoo. We've got a great zoo, so we get in the Amtrak, and we're moving down. And you look out the window after about an hour and it says, welcome to San Diego. And you say, hey, you know, that 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 was a pretty quick trip. But then the conductor comes on the PA system and he says, um, I'm sorry, that's not really a sign that we're in San Diego. We had an earthquake and the gravity and the rocks just kind of fell into uh, a particular order that spells out welcome to San Diego. <laughs> but it's not really a message. Uh Now, here's that point of that premise. We only believe that things are true and they're right and they communicate information if there is a rationality, a mind. We don't believe that luck and earthquakes and accidents gives information. And so the same idea is is true here that... uh, if, if our minds came from non-rational forces, if our minds came from non-purposeful physical matter, then we don't we shouldn't be able to trust it. There's no guarantee that it should give us truth. And thus, without a mind behind the universe, without intelligence behind the universe, then we can't really trust that our our minds and and our sensory organs are giving us truth about the world in which we live. So whether it's the SOS in the sand, it's communicating information. There must be an intelligent source there. Or if it's the uh, if if we're going to San Diego on the Amtrak and uh, we realize that well. 
that's not really a message. It's just a, a, a crazy accident. It's just amazing that it happened by luck and chance. But you say, you know, you and I sitting on the Amtrak, we would say, well, if that really happened, then we can't really believe we're in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So these are these are kind of ways of of thinking. If there isn't a mind behind the universe, then I don't think we're in a good spot to be able to trust our reason and our human rationality. But now we're back to Linux. Now we're back to that great irony. There are lots of people who use their reason and rationality to tell us that they accept a worldview that doesn't have a basis for reason and rationality. Mm. Or, or what the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yeah, that's probably a good place to take a break. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and a theologian loves helping people understand the reasonableness and the relevance of the truth claims of Christianity. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe, and he's the author of several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. If you, As you listen to this conversation, if you have questions for Ken or you need something clarified, the text line is open for you, 877 933 2484, and we'll be right back. You've probably heard me talk about hope quite a bit this season, and I think it's because we need to hear more about it. We need to encourage one another with hope. We need to build one another up with the hope that we have in Christ. And if you are feeling lonely or maybe you are having periods of disappointment or despair and you need hope, we want you to know that you can always come to God's word for hope. Hope will always be there for you waiting. And if you are struggling to make it to the next moment, I want you to be able to text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Ken Samples is my guest. We're talking about the mind. That's a tough one, especially for me. I was a C student. But the topic is, how did the human mind come to be? Did mind make nature or did nature make mind? We already covered that. And as believers, we know that there is a designer. Ken, a question came in that said, uh, what would you say to those who say, yes, it's intelligent design. We were planted by aliens. Well, you know what? That's uh, I think that's a very interesting point. At least you are positing that there is an intelligent source behind the universe. Now, you know, are these creatures uh, omniscient? Do they have all knowledge? Are they perfect being? Um, you know, but but at least the emphasis there is that there's some kind of intelligent design taking place. Now, my response, if the person really believed in intelligent aliens, is I would say, well, 
let's look at your model of explanation. Let's look at my model of explanation. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then we'll, we'll see UFO theory or Judeo-Christian biblical perspective. But I would at least acknowledge there, there is the idea of intelligence. And by the way, Carl Sagan, one of the great uh, astronomers of the 20th century, he said, if we just got one clear message from E.T., that would be enough evidence to say there are intelligent beings in the universe. Wow. Well, if that's the case, uh, I think it makes Lennox's point very powerful that that uh, either human intelligence ultimately owes its origin to mindless matter or there is a creator. Um you know, I don't. I don't think intelligent uh, aliens. I don't think that's a good explanation. Number one, I, they'd have a lot of ground to to travel to get here, uh, and I I don't see any evidence, uh, clear evidence that that's the case. But again, I want to underscore, you're positing there an intelligent source as opposed to a non-intelligent source, mm. and that's so really my argument. Yeah, that's a great argument, Ken. All right, now that was just a little sidetrack. Let's get back to the argument for Christian theism. Yeah, so think of it this way, Bill. Um, we got a world, right? We got a cosmos, a universe. And that universe exhibits order and regularity, patterns, uniformity, Um and then we have human beings like you and me, and we have cognitive faculties and sensory organs, and they seem to work pretty well. I mean, I wasn't a great math student, but I'm pretty good at arithmetic. And, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can go and, and use math. And then you have to have something that connects the human mind uh, to the world. There has to be a, a, a network that sets all this together. That's exactly what the Bible is saying. That's, that's what the Judeo-Christian message is, that God is a God of logic. He is a God of laws. He is a God of reason and rationality. He created the world, and the world uh, can be understood by science and math and logic because they come out of the mind of God. He is a mathematical God. He is an engineer, he's a mathematician, uh, he's an artist. Uh, and then he has to make us in his image. And, and part of being made in God's image is being rational agents. I mean, animals are wonderful. They give us great enjoyment. We probably couldn't exist without them, but animals don't do, they don't build the natural sciences. They don't engage in philosophy. Um, you know, ain't, uh, human beings seem unique in that sense. So this is the model that produced science. Science began one time. I mean, the, the ancient Chinese civilization made contributions. So did Greece and Rome. So did Babylon. But science came together as an enterprise bill one time. It was in the 1600s and it was in Christian Europe largely because of these very reasons, because the scientists said, look, God is a rational being. He made a real world. He made a world that's orderly. He made us in his image. So we got the right kind of world. We got the right kind of human beings. 
and God has networked us together. And the vast majority of the early scientists were Christians, and they brought this to bear. But but now let's let's reverse it. What if the worldview at the time had been secular atheism? Would science have ever gotten off the ground? Um, I mean, I mean, think about it. If you if you are an atheist, you essentially have to say that you as a person having a mind and being rational, you came from a source that lacked all of those qualities. Nature is not rational. Nature is not mindful. It's not a person. But somehow all of the non-elements created human beings that have qualities that nature doesn't have. So how, how can you get all of that? And, and if that's the case, if, if we evolved and came from non-rational, non-purposeful source, then why should we think we can trust all of that? I mean, the Christian worldview, I think, provides a basis for rationality. So these are, these are complicated ideas, but I'm trying to really make it super clear. Why do you trust things like math and logic and reason uh, and science if all of that came from a source that lacked all of that? Mm-hmm. You know, Ken, then when people talk about nature, and nature, of course, is beautiful, but nature is also incredibly violent. I mean, I've watched enough Mutual right. of Omaha shows and these <laughs> National Geographic shows. Nature is really violent. That's right. Nature, um, you know, human beings uh, have qualities and characteristics to develop science and technology, and we are able in in these incredible ways to, you know, create uh, a technology that can help us survive in some of these areas. I, I remember 15 years ago, Bill, they had a catastrophic um, tsunami that hit some of the South Asia and just wiped out tens of thousands of people. And I remember one scientist at Caltech said, if they would have had our technology, there would have been minimal loss of life. Here's what's interesting. These human beings develop these scientific technologies to kind of uh, put a saddle on nature, uh, to are, are able to work through these, these kinds of things. And I think in, in, in that respect, we're illustrating that uh, this idea of a mind behind nature is very powerful. I mean, I mean, imagine if there's no God, no mind behind the universe, then your brain somehow evolved this complicated. What I remember when I was in the hospital, I had, I had brain lesions. And uh, when I get, went to get an MRI, the technician, he says, would you like to see your brain? I said, absolutely. <laughs> and when I looked at it, my first thought it was, I thought it would be bigger. <laughs> yeah. Well, scientists say that human brain is maybe the most complex mechanism in the known universe. Okay, so this complex mechanism in the known universe comes into existence. And then at some point, the brain produces the mind. Well, you know, people say, people say that Christians or religious people, you know, it, it's not very credible. You expect us to believe all this stuff. 
but but imagine imagine the credibility of saying, look, all of the intelligent things that you know in the world came from a source that lacks all of that intelligence. I think that I think that secularism, I think atheism, they have an explanatory challenge and problem, and that uh, this issue of where the mind came from, I think, is a it's really worth exploring. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken. Let me take a little break. When we come back, I um, I am excited to ask you uh, several more questions. I want to start with your argument for a, a naturalistic worldview. So that's going to be the topic when we return from break. If you have a question or comment for Ken Samples regarding our discussion today, how did the human mind come to be? The text line's open just for you, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Ken has authored several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. You can see his good-looking picture at reasons.org. That's reasons.org. We'll be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, I've got Ken's samples as my guest. Ken's nice enough to come on once a month. He's over at reasons.org. You can check him out there. We're talking today about how did the human mind come to be. So, Ken, maybe we can start off uh, this half hour uh, talking, if you would, share the argument for a naturalistic worldview. Okay, let's... uh... Let, let me start out with a comment and then a couple of quotations and we'll develop it. So first of all, I want to say as thoughtful human beings, that, that means Bill, you and me, we intuitively associate a message which contains information with an intelligent source, a sender or a coder. So if I get an email and it says, uh, Bill Arnold, I say, ah, oh, that's an intelligent source. That wasn't just generated, you know, by chance. It it has real information. I can trust it. Now, here's a couple quotations to keep in mind. The atheist astronomer Carl Sagan, he used to do that show Cosmos. Uh, he, he used to have the line, you know, the universe is all that is, was, and ever will be. Uh, Carl Sagan said that just one coded message received from outer space would constitute clear evidence of the reality of extraterrestrial life. So just one message uh, would would support that. Now, here's another quotation from a, from another science guy. Um, I think he is an agnostic, maybe an atheist. It's Bill Gates, who was one of the co-founders of Microsoft. I'm, I use his system all the time as I'm Uh, working on my computer. Here's what Bill Gates said. He said, human DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software we've ever created. Now, DNA, this this has information. This is a code. It's far beyond anything that uh, 
software producers have been able to make. So how do we how do we understand the DNA? How do we understand that there is an information network, an information system within each and every one of us, and everybody has their own specific DNA? Well, uh, I, I think I think as we have illustrated by a couple of our stories, if if you see SOS, that's a pretty simple message. When you open up the DNA and you realize there is all of this information that guides uh, our very being and everybody has their own DNA. Or if you think of the the Amtrak story, you know, uh, to have a message that this really is San Diego, that can't come from an accidental source. It can't come from a blind, non-purposeful source. So what is the argument ultimately from a naturalistic worldview? Well, I think they have to assert that somehow through the process of nature, through evolution, um, it coughed up human beings that are able to reason, that are personal, that are rational, but they came from a source that lacked all of those qualities. Now, Usually they'll say something like this, Bill. They'll say that, you know, once the brain gets to a certain complex state, then there are these emergent properties that take place, and that's the mind. But again, I I want to lay them side by side. And I, I want to go back again to John Lennox. I think his point is worth repeating. Uh, either human intelligence ultimately owes its origin to mindless matter, or there is a creator. Strange, is it not, that some people claim that it is their intelligence that leads them to prefer the first to the second. You know, this, mm -hmm. this I think, you have to weigh, you have to, you have to measure. Uh, you know, one person wrote a book entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. When I look at the world, yeah, there's pain and suffering. Yeah, there is. Uh, nature can be a beast. Nature can be incredibly violent. But there's also design. There's beauty. There's truth. There's rationality. And I believe it is... I believe it's more probative to opt for a worldview that has an intelligent mind behind the universe. And, and again, we're back to Romans 1, where Paul, the apostle, this is kind of inside baseball. We're being told by the creator, you know, what the processes are in a person's heart that um, we know that there is a God. We, we see, we understand, and we know, but our tendency because of original sin is to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And I, I think as we talk about these kinds of issues, we want to present a reasonable case. We want to we want to do as Peter tells us, always be ready to give to every man an answer, a reason for the hope that you have. But I think we also have to recognize that somehow that that moral reaction, that pushback, I mean, uh, Thomas Nagel is a brilliant philosopher. He happens to be an atheist. Uh, I think he's professor of philosophy emeritus at New York University. 
I mean, this guy's painfully smart. He said in one of his books, I don't want God to exist. I don't want the universe to be that way. I appreciate his candor. But but isn't it interesting if you want if you want to come to believe in God, uh, you can't come on your own terms. You have to come on his terms. And that means humility. That that means repentance. That means the recognition that, you know, we've lived our lives, we've made a wreck of our lives, and we are accountable before the Lord. So all of this logic, reason, rationality, arguments, I think are very, very important. But from a Christian point of view, we realize that God has to do a work in someone's heart. The Holy Spirit has to enable a person to, to recognize their sins, to recognize these kinds of things. And so, you know, here you have Bill Gates saying, wow, DNA, that's not like any code we've ever been able to work up. And you know, if you if you look at an intelligible source, if you look at information, data, evidence, your first assumption is there must be an intelligent sender or a coder on the other side. Mm-hmm. Ken Samples is my guest. Our topic today is how did the human mind come to be? Ken's a philosopher and theologian, which makes perfect sense when you hear this topic and you we delve into it. And as I think of Ken technology and how we see all we can see today because of technology where people have their own personal uh, retinal print or um, the ways in which we can identify people who would have ever thought you could uh, be identified with your eyes. How are we not uniquely made by a creator? Yeah. I mean, I like to watch crime shows, you know, and we, we didn't always know about DNA, but, you know, there, there have been some criminals that left their DNA at the scene. And uh, with our advancements in technology, we've been able to trace it and police were able to apprehend those people. We've also realized that sometimes people are put in jail and it was not just and DNA has uh, shown them to be not guilty. I mean, imagine those things. It, it is uh, Francis Crick, very famous scientist, British, discovered the double helix, the DNA. He said, now, remember, you have to keep reminding yourself that all of these things happen by chance and they're not designed. Well, why do you have to keep reminding yourself of that, Bill? Because it screams design. Mm, so true. Interesting comment from a listener. Um, some people argue that the human mind came to be when our ancestors ate certain fungi that made their brain change, I believe, among, along the same lines, but it was a fruit from a tree that made us aware of right and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you know, I, I, I think that um, I, I think it's pretty important to realize that everybody has a worldview, Bill. Everybody makes sense of reality. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has their means of saying, here's what the ultimate, here's the ultimate meaning of life. Here's my morality. Here's, you know, my view of reason and rationality. Um, 
I think what we need to appreciate is that uh, I don't think most scientists are hostile to Christianity. I think most scientists are actually ambivalent. That is, um, now there are some that are absolutely hostile to Christianity. There's no doubt about it. You know, they, they say the Bible is a bunch of myths. Religious people are superstitious. But I really do think the vast majority of scientists, they're ambivalent. Um, they got bills to pay. They've got kids in college. They are trying to live their life. Um, oftentimes, I think the issue is... Uh, the issue is not the intelligence or these kinds of, of things. But I think ultimately what happens is they experience an existential crisis. Uh, their child, you know, has cancer or mm -hmm. their marriage dissolves or, you know, they their career comes apart. And then they're in this crisis situation and they have to ask themselves, are the only resources I have available from me. Right. Excellent point. All right, Ken, we're going to take a little break. Ken Samples is my guest, and we are going to return and continue our discussion on how did the human mind come to be? If you have a question or comment for Ken, 877-933-2484. Be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Ken Samples is with me. We're talking about the human mind today. Complicated topic. But uh, a comment that was made about, um, Ken, about someone getting their mind changed when they ate of the fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden. They understood right versus wrong, um, which just triggered a thought I had as a theologian and a philosopher. Were Adam and Eve um, rebellious against God or were they just deceived or both? Yeah, these are really good questions. They're the big questions of life. Um, you know, I, I I think as we think about how Lucifer became the devil, how Adam and Eve, you know, rebelled against God and were cast out of the the garden, I, I think to some extent, um, both Lucifer and Adam and Eve, they chose themselves over God. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll throw this out. I've been thinking about this for some time. I remember when I was a small boy, I stole something from a store. And I remember when I was able to get out of the store with it, I felt this, this electric charge. I felt like, ooh, I've gotten away with it. And, um, of course, I didn't quite feel that good when my mom and dad found out about it. Uh, they changed what the feeling was. But there, there, there is this, this illicit. I mean, for some reason, Luther, uh, Lucifer decided that he wanted to be God. Adam and Eve wanted to be God. Now, here's the contrast. Philippians 2, 
It says that Jesus, our Messiah, who is fully God, who has all the credentials of deity equal to the Father and the Spirit, he doesn't hold on to his deity. He doesn't take his deity as something he wants to exploit, but he humbles himself and takes a human nature. So here's Lucifer. He wants to be God. Adam and Eve, they want apparently want to be God. But when God, the second person of the Trinity, God's own son, he doesn't hold on to all those prerogatives. He becomes a slave. He takes on the bondservant and is willing to under, undergo pain and suffering and the humiliation of the cross. And so this is that deep contrast. And, you know, I think pride uh, for centuries now Christian thinkers have been studying scripture and doing theology, and most of Christianity's greatest theologians said the greatest sin is pride because it blinds you. And, you know, these other sins, they're destructive, uh, greed, uh, gluttony, lust, all of those are disordered, destructive. But pride is the one that is kind of the anti-God state of mind. Mm-hmm. So, Ken, this hour we've talked about, did mind make nature or did nature make mind? Uh, you gave a really great argument for Christian theism. You gave an argument for the naturalistic worldview. I'm curious now, uh, how, how does this impact the, the way you reason? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have been teaching uh, logic and critical thinking, Bill, f- since 1990, so m- more than 30 years. And um, one of the things I really enjoy about it is when you teach college students, um, it's always been the, the logic classes where they've come to me after the semester is over, and they said, Professor Samples, I, f- I feel empowered by this class. I I now have the capacity to know what a good argument is, and I can even identify bad arguments, and I can, you know, say it's the ad hominem fallacy, or, you know, they say, I, I feel empowered by this. I, I, I really think this class gave me something I, I didn't have before. Well, I think when I look to scripture, Bill, um, I think what John in particular tells us is that we need to be very discerning. You know, we live in a messy world right now. It appears to be getting uh, more messy. It appears to be growing in its uh, post-Christian state of reality. We need to be able to discern, to reason. And I believe that God has made us in his image. I believe that um, he's given us these qualities and they are reliable And yet we also need a source of spirituality. Wisdom is not just logic. It also comes from a moral wisdom that we find in books like the Psalms and the Proverbs, what our Jewish friends have have called the wisdom literature. And uh, I, I therefore am grateful to God for reason, for math, for logic, uh, and all of these things. And I want to use my natural abilities, and I want the Holy Spirit to teach me uh, through the Word of God that, uh, by the way, John 1.1 1, 1 
could be translated in the beginning was it says in the beginning was the word it could be translated in the beginning was logic the word is logos yeah. amen jesus is the logic of god yeah just a couple of minutes left ken and i've loved this hour so thank you for giving us this journey uh some maybe some thoughts about what we what we what we know about our creator as a result of this conversation yeah i i think especially as a time you know we we think about gratitude, you know, it is during the Christmas era, it's the holidays, we start to realize that life is short. Um, you know, there are meaningful people in our lives, we want to be, we want to be grateful to God. You know, today, my wife and I went for a walk in the early morning, I'm, I'm looking at the world in which I, I live. I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, God created this world. I'm thankful that it is a good world. It's stained by sin, but it's still a good world. Uh, I have my wife, you know, walking next to me, someone who has committed her life to me. I just began to to appreciate the the truth, the goodness, and the beauty, the reason, the rationality. Bill, Christians don't need to be insecure about our belief system. We can make uh, a robust, logical argument for why we believe what we believe. But ultimately, God gave us that brain and mind. He gave us eyes and ears. He gave us this incredible system uh, of being a human being. You know, I, I want, I ultimately want to be faithful to him. I don't want to use my brilliance or my gifts that he's given me like he's given to other people. I want to use them for his glory. And, um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think the world makes sense without God. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. This, uh, nothing makes sense without God. And for people who have a hostility towards God, I understand spiritual blindness and I understand their, their rejection of a creator and I guess you just have to pray that uh, the Holy Spirit reaches them and, and gives them a sense of conviction. So, Ken, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure, Bill. Thank you for having me. You bet. Ken Samples has been my guest. You can head over to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. That's our show for the day. Thank you very much for uh, being with me today. I hope you learned something. I know I always learn something when Ken comes on. And I hope you got a sense of encouragement today from the Monday afternoon mix and hopefully a few smiles and laughs from my friend Patrick Albanese as we got started today. As iron sharpens iron, one man another, let's go out and be sharpening agents for each other. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.